I'm Kitty Pilgrim, and I'm so pleased to be hosting Lucy's podcast series featuring remarkable women who are breaking through the barriers of age and gender bias to shape a new world for women. We are joined by Edie Weiner, president and CEO of Future Hunters. Edie, thanks for joining us today. It's my pleasure. You know, I see Future Hunters... And both of those words confuse me. How do you hunt the future? What does a futurist do? I wouldn't even know how to begin. How do you even invent that? What does a futurist do? Well, it's interesting that you use the word invent because I pretty much invented futures research for business back almost 50 years ago. And um, there are a lot of people who've come into the field and call themselves futurists, and they all do different things. But I'll tell you what we do. We read a great number of publications that cover social, economic, political, technological, demographic, environmental change. Um, and they span the political spectrum from the far left to the far right. And, um, and our job is to really uh, keep track of everything that's new, everything that's from surprising sources, and try and find the pattern recognition. What does it seem is really happening when you put things together? Mm -hmm. So we basically try and figure out what's going to happen in the next two years, five years, ten years, and some of our clients even need us to go out 50 to 100 years if they're in very long-range businesses or if they're in national governments. Mm -hmm. um, so our, we're, really, um, we're really in the business of trying to piece together uh, all the disparate kinds of information that are coming in from everywhere mm -hmm. and from every discipline and figuring out how they fit together and mm -hmm. what they portend for the future. What I, This is probably an unfair question, but what is the most interesting thing that you ever thought up, like as you were walking along? Or I always think of interesting things when I'm in the pool where I can't write it down or in the shower where I can't write it down. What's? Did you ever have a moment where you just thought of something just incredible? You know, Kitty, that happens to me every moment of every day. In fact, I, it's like my friend's joke. I, I need sleeping pills to go to sleep because otherwise it's still things are just dawning on me all the time. Um, but I would say that the most exciting things that I've come up with are the bigger picture things. Like we, we can piece together smaller trends and say, here's what's happening in this technology or, you know, this this is where you know the political systems of the world seem to be going. But the bigger, the larger constructs, that takes bigger holistic thinking. And when we come up with those things, like what is the nature of the total economic transformation that we're going through? What is the form of civilization that we seem to be entering? Those are the bigger things, and they're very exciting because when you can figure those out and then you can you can transmit those to people, they get excited because suddenly things are fitting in into a picture that they can understand. Mm -hmm. So um, so I love those moments, mm -hmm. those things. Who are your clients? I mean, it must be, you must meet a wide range of people. Oh, we do. I mean, my, my clients range from the Fortune 1000 companies to trade and professional associations to national governments to um, government agencies. I mean, it's, it's I don't... I usually don't even think of my clients as being companies because it's somebody in that organization that is so interested in wanting to know what's coming that they hire us. Mm -hmm. So frequently our, our clients in, in our mind are, are more people than the organizations they represent. You know, for um, someone like me, I'm, I'm, very, I'm a journalist. I'm very concrete, very everything has to be nailed down, buttoned down, and verified, right? For, for someone like you that thinks in the abstract, it seems very, very abstract to me. I once had a college roommate who had to pick the colors for a textile company five years in advance. I'm like, how do you do that? How do you think up blue five years in? Oh, it's blue. What color blue? Who knows? 
how do you think up things? Well, see, that's a perfect example because I get calls sometimes. Um, what do you think the you know the fashion for next year is going to be? And that's not what I do. And I I can think back to. Um, uh, back in the 70s, I got a call from somebody from Harper's Bazaar saying, um, we, we want uh, your take on uh, why we're seeing this um, waif look on the runway. You know, and if you remember back to then, you saw women on the runway walking down that looked like little girls with ankle right. socks and pigtails and scrubbed faces. And I said, well, you can't do that story unless you also talk about the nihilistic look on the runway, the punk look, the mm -hmm. people who are walking down with the piercings and the tattoos and the right. ripped clothes and the, you know, and the, and the drugged out look. And she said, but no, but that's not the story we're doing. We're just doing the story <laughs> on the waif look. And I said, you don't understand it's the same story it's in it's the same story because you have to go further out on the extremes to get the middle to pay attention she said what am i supposed to do with that you know if we're doing a wave story and you're telling me it's just the opposite and i it said no you don't understand it isn't the opposite it's the same thing because you have both of these ways of getting attention because they're both further out to the extreme what's going to happen a couple of years from now is that the woman on main street who can't identify with either one of these is going to wind up with a second piercing in one of her ears, a little rose tattoo on her shoulder, and she's going to go to work in flat shoes. Um, and, and there you go, exactly we're here. <laughs> so you have to, you know, we, we understand how things fit in mm -hmm. to the bigger picture, and everybody is looking, at, you know, under a microscope, and we're looking through a telescope right. um, and trying to see, you know, like, okay, what is the real ecosystem of trends that are taking place here? Right. And then how do we make sense? So I, I can't predict the color for next year, yeah. but I can understand um, where things are going and how they fit together. Right. Uh, people have such a need for simplicity. I remember um, when I was a reporter uh, doing financial reporting, the hemline indicator. Remember the hemline indicator? Of, I can't remember which way it goes, if skirts are short, stocks are higher. I don't know. I can't remember what the hemline indicator yeah. was. But it was one of those really simplistic things. And Well, and actually, I happen to love simplicity. Okay. I really do. Tell me about that. Because my work is so complicated mm -hmm. um, that I need, to, when you asked before about those moments that I like the best, those are moments where I can get things down to something very simple. So, for example, people say, well, you know, where are we heading now with time happening so fast? And we call it templosion, the implosion of time. With things happening so fast, where are we heading? And I say, okay, look, you, you can look at all different schools of anthropology, biology, history, geology, and there are all different ways of breaking down the history of civilizations. But as I try to understand where we're going for the future, I make it really simple. And I go to four Greek letters, alpha, beta, gamma, delta. Mm -hmm. And I basically say we are entering civilization alpha. Delta was the difference between the first things that were human and not human on this planet. And depending upon your science, your anthropology, which could be very complicated, that could, you know, you, you can talk about the, the, the Mesozoic, the, the, you know, the paleo, you know, Paleolithic, Neolithic. Uh, to, they talk about today the Anthropocene era. I get all that. But to my mind, the four Greek letters work just as well. And so the delta, that first difference, could be over 2 million years ago or 150,000 years ago, depending upon your particular science. 
Pisces. And then gamma, the first harnessing of external energy, depending upon your particular scientific breakdown, it could be 150,000 years ago with fire or 15,000 years ago with the wheel. And then beta, which is the first large-scale aggregations of people and agriculture, depending upon how you want to break it down scientifically or even your religious bent, you could put that to 15 or 6,000 years ago to today. Mm-hmm. Um, but I say that we're entering civilization alpha because this is the very first time in human history, in civilization, that we can do three things. Leave this planet, destroy this planet, or consciously design the many future directions of the human species. And through genetic engineering, implants, transplants, wearables, ingestibles, synthetic biology, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all of these, you know, uh, brain machine interface, artificial intelligence, sensors, robotics, we're going to go off in so many different directions as a species that humanity will survive, but this wetware and this software that we have it all in is going is, is gonna to change profoundly. Right. So I make it simple. Four Greek letters, and I can understand yes. it, as yes. opposed to 57 different ways of cutting through the history of civilizations. Yeah. how do, I know you're from a very close family. Uh, you have multiple children in your life from various uh, family members. Uh, how do you make sense of the world to children today? Because when you're talking to a corporate group, it's one thing. But when you're talking to kids about, um, you know, how their life is going to be. Do you do that? Or is that too frightening? No, I do it all the time. And the fact is that you say that I come from a very close family. I actually grew up in foster homes mm-hmm. in the worst neighborhood in the United States, uh, in East New York, Brooklyn. <laughs> now, I mean, there are others that vie with that now, like Compton and Chicago. But right. basically, at the time in the 50s, it was um, probably one of the worst neighborhoods mm-hmm. in the country. And I, I even went to what was considered to be the worst high school in the United States. Um, so I don't come from a privileged or close family. Mm -hmm. I come from a world in which I learned at a very, very early age that everybody's reality is just in their head. So you, you, you grow up in the same religion, in the same borough, in the same place, in the same era at the same time, but you move from home to home where they tell you, no, that holiday is not what you think it is. That's not how you wash clothes. That's not how you cook spaghetti. And so you say, okay, I mean, I just learned something else and Mm -hmm. that's not you and fine, we go from there. So as an adult, I take a look at young people and I know that if we force our our reality on them, we're doing them a tremendous disservice. The worst thing you can do is give your kid any kind of career advice because their world is not the same as your world. It's changing constantly. And I have friends come to me all the time and say, Edie, help me out. I've just spent all of this money to send my kid through four years of of college. And now she wants to manage a rock band. Now he wants to open, you know, like a, he wants to teach skiing in, 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 in Aspen. And I say, if that's your issue, don't send your kid to me because I would encourage them to do that. They're going to live for 30 more years than you were expected to when you got out of school. Their whole career trajectory is different. And if you're going to live to be 100 and you want to manage a rock band, better do it in your 20s than in your 90s. Right. And the same thing with ski instruction. So, you know, and then we have, you know, oh, I want my kid to be a doctor. Well, brain surgeons who are older have to bring kids into the operating arena with them because it's all robotics yeah. now. It's all you're playing a video game and, and, the, and the guys who are over 50 don't know how to play the video games as well as the medical students who are in their 20s and 30s. Right. So stop trying to foster your kids' ambitions based on your world. And I, and I tell all the young people in my family, what do you love to do? There's your whole life to go yeah. to school, your whole life to get credentialed in anything. What do you want to do? 
I I think we have two renegades sitting at this table. My son is a rock musician, and I encouraged him to pursue it. <laughs> Good for you. And the the mommy brigades were really after me for a while for that one. Good for you. And I'm I'm kind of lucky because my son went into my business. He and my daughter-in-law oh, pretty much run my company now. That's so nice. So that's, that's the so whole nice. issue of founders growing older and passing on what they've done to younger generations. Mm-hmm. You dress very boldly. I'm sorry to get so so superficial with such an incredible intellect, but you have a wonderful sense of style. Um, did this evolve, uh, or did you do this to you know catch the eye of your clients, or is this just inherent? Do you just? I usually dress in just black and white. This is Christmas time, okay. so it's you know it's a holiday, so I'm wearing red. I but basically, um, I I love. Um, fashion and I like experimenting mm-hmm. with a few things, but not a lot because I don't want to scare an audience or scare my clients. But I also don't want to look and be like everybody else. Uh, my whole life was. Uh, I don't think you could a, do that if you try. <laughs> my whole life was just a like, you know, ha- who am I and what makes me different and why am I here and what difference do I make? And if you just do and look and sound like everyone else because that's what you're expected to do, then then you don't. Make a difference. No, you're fairly unique, Edie. I think you know that. (laughs) I think you know that. Um, I wanted to ask you about the role of women, because this podcast is really about women who are mature, who are still pursuing their dreams, uh, women like yourself, women like me, who who really just want to keep going and want to do. What's the future like for Edie? Well, the first thing is a better way of repairing knees that don't work anymore. (laughs) I mean, it's like I'm putting my hope in technology to say that I can stay as young as I really believe that I still am Mm -hmm. um, as gravity starts taking its toll. But I just think that um, we've always talked about people in populations being haves and have-nots. I don't agree with that distinction Mm -hmm. because a lot of people like me come up from deprivation, poverty, a lot of challenge, and go on to do good things, great things. Some go on to become president. Some go on to uh, run major movements. Uh, it, it's not about haves and have-nots. It's about cans and cannots. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes you have people who are born very wealthy with everything. And um, and despite all that, they can't, they can't figure their way out of a paper bag. So how does and someone it, empower themselves? Well, but this is, this is my issue with women. What I try to do is make sure that women know that they have as much can as any guy does and that they have a can at any age, no matter what age they are. Like children, you can see the difference between the cans and the cannots. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing with, with young people in school. There were so many teenagers and young adults who were committing suicide suicide or can't hack it, can't get bad feedback. They've been so spoiled. They're not cans. They've yes. become cannots. Yes. Whereas the cans come mostly from more deprived working class backgrounds where they were not spoiled and they had to figure it out and they had to make it on their own. Right. So I um, I just basically try and and when I, when I mentor women, I have mentored hundreds and hundreds of women. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've started organizations to promote women and to network women and to have women support women. And there are several basic things that I tell them. And and one is that the greatest thing about becoming an adult is that you have no adult supervision. You know, when you're a kid, you just can't wait to grow up so you don't have to listen to your parents anymore. All so what advice. do we do? Yeah. We grow up and we listen to the whole rest of the world. 
Uh, why? Yeah. You now have no adult supervision. Use that to your advantage and to the world's advantage. Have your own inner voice, yeah. And just, yeah, yeah do some great things and who cares, you know, what? as long as you don't hurt someone, you know, make it count for something. Especially in this kind of society where we have so many um, avenues to go down and you can switch course. Have you ever switched course Many times, in many ways, not career-wise, mm-hmm. but I have started over a dozen nonprofits. I have served on over 30 boards. Each time is a new experience. It's a new opportunity. Every time I work with a new client, it's a new learning curve. Every time I buy a new outfit, it's like, you know, oh, okay, I don't have anything like this. This is cool. Um, you switch course in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, every time you, you think, look, look what's going on politically around the world, not just in this country. Yes. We're switching course significantly. Very much. And, and having to figure things out. And if you don't, if you don't, if you're not strong in critical thinking, you just sort of go with the flow of what you think you should be doing. But it's you, every time you think and you think for yourself, you wind up switching course a little bit. And if you didn't, you begin to die. Yeah, you self-correct a little bit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, uh, have, talking to you, one would have the impression that you had success after success after success. And you have. Did you ever have a failure that really knocked you for a loop? I've had many failures that have knocked me for a loop. Um, my first marriage of 30 years, which is, it was just... It was so difficult and so tough, and I waited until my son was no longer a minor so that I could leave that. And mm-hmm. And I always felt I could somehow fix my marriage, and that's mm-hmm. something that a lot of women feel when they're yes. in. It's a common in thing. In awful yeah. marriages, and mm-hmm. so you can't. Sometimes you can't. You have to just know that you failed at that, but you didn't really because it didn't work, no matter what you were going to do. Um, I have, you know, uh, I've left a board because... I failed to be able to make a difference there, and it turned out that they went down a path that did them in. They just didn't want to listen to me. I failed to be able to make myself heard. Um, I was right in the end, so I can't consider it a failure, but it was because I couldn't get them to do what they should have done. Um, I can think of you know many, many failures, but every failure is a proof that you're alive. You can, you know... I always say to people, when the things you got wrong on the tests when you were growing up, you will remember far longer than the things you got right. Oh, I do remember that one question. Yeah, right? <laughs> right? Because the things you got right, you crammed, you studied, you did it right, and you forgot it. The things you got wrong, you were kind of pissed. It really and annoys like, you. Yeah. And you Even resonate. now. Yeah. So, so every failure is really a success because it teaches you something. Your successes don't teach you nearly as much as your failures do. Yeah. Well, you should be celebrating every single one of your successes. It is an incredible privilege to talk to you. I have one last question, and I I know it's a little unfair, but what is the future? What's your next project that you're really excited about? What is the future for you? Or maybe not a project, a trip, or just give us a little glimpse of your future a little bit a little further out. You know, it's highly personal. I mm-hmm. have a grandson. And um, and I just love the idea that at this point in my life, I can more comfortably allow others to step in to the leadership roles in my company. And I can spend time babysitting. And by the way... Isn't that fun? Uh, yeah. it, not only is it fun, but um, when you give, give up your whole life for work and you can't be home as much as you'd like with your own kids, this is a gift you give to yourself at some point in your life to say that I, I'm actually going to enjoy 
you know, getting on all fours and having somebody ride on my back. Yes. And not <laughs> and having a like, clock tape, and, and right? That, yeah. yeah. And, and that's still with a full workload. I mean, I'm still on boards. I still, you know, uh, have many clients. I still, you know, am running my business along with my son and daughter-in-law. I've given them two-thirds of the business at this point. So I'm still very, very active in everything. But the idea that I can, that I that the next phase of my life allows me some more discretion in, in who I want to spend it with and where I want to go, that's tremendously exciting for me because I was always under the crush of a calendar. Yes. Well, I can imagine that that child has the absolute best time when he well, is he thinks with... I'm absolutely crazy and out of my mind, and that's the best legacy I could give that's him. That's wonderful. That's <laughs> wonderful. And just watching his eyes light up as you show him something new, it must be Yeah, we, we always have a good time with that because I make up a lot of crazy things um, so that he always, you know, looks at me like, you know, Grandma, is that what? Is that right? <laughs> what? <laughs> and then he sees me laugh. So he knows because this is what I do with my son. Every morning I woke him up making him laugh until about fourth grade. And then he refused to laugh. And I said, okay, I've done it. I've done my job. All the wiring is there. He's going to have a great sense of humor and laugh at a lot of things. And I can't force him to do it anymore. And I'm doing the same now with my grandson. I just make him laugh hysterically over ridiculous things, knowing that that's going to be part of his wiring. How nice. How (laughs) nice. Edie, it is such a pleasure talking to you. Edie Weiner, President and CEO of Future Hunters. Thank you. Been a pleasure. Thanks, Kitty.